Welcome to Awesome Woo Woo Holistic Vet Advice with Dr. Jim and Kristen Carlson. Now, the name of our program might be a bit unconventional, but for that better, so is our approach. We'll discuss traditional and alternative practices and therapies designed to improve and maintain the health of your best friends, your pets. With the ideas discussed on the show today, your pets could live longer and healthier lives. Now, here is Dr. Jim and Kristen Carlson. Hi, I'm Kristen Carlson here with Dr. Jim Carlson, Riverside Animal Clinic and Holistic Center in McHenry, Illinois. We're now located at the Healthy Pet Lifestyle Campus. Um, We're just northwest of Chicago on the outside of the uh, northwest suburbs, the outer edge of those. So hopefully you can stop by and see us if you're ever in the area. Um, We have a few things coming up today, including um, some facts about dog food storage that you may not know about. So if you want to go buy a big bag of Old Roy, um, we have some information that uh, might change your mind on how to do that because you could make your dog pretty sick or just give them kind of a lesser diet. If, um, you know, the more you buy and the, and the storage methods you use, according to that. Also, you have to be aware of some of the new bags that are out there, uh, dog food bags, snack food bags for humans. Um, there's a lot of dogs that are actually suffocating uh, from those bags. So we're going to talk a little bit about how that happens and why we actually had that happen to one of our patients. And um, so we want to just kind of give you a warning about something like that. It's like so shocking. So to hear it and have it happen at home. So we'll tell you a little about that. And also we have a lot of questions from our Holistic Vet Advice with Dr. Jim and Kristen Carlson group. It's located on Facebook and we hope to hear from you on there. We have several questions today, including the use of Arnica. Um, it's a, it is a, it's an herb, correct? Mm-hmm. And Arnica is used when you have a lot of like bruising, sore muscles, and sometimes some holistic practitioners just prescribe Arnica rather than prescribing like a, a regular um, medication like uh, Carprofen and NSAID, something like that. Mm-hmm. So um, we're going to talk about if that's a good thing to use for like a, a senior dog with arthritis. So we have a question about that. Question about the apple cider vinegar rinse that you've been telling people to do. Mm-hmm. Some people's dogs are like, Ugh, and uh, they want to know a little bit more about that. Uh, should I add additional vitamins to my packaged dog food? Um, a baking soda question for cat litter boxes. And a dog that um, the owner was told some information that I don't know is right. So she's kind of like reconfirming that because her dog has lost a lot of weight since she made a diet change that mm-hmm. she was told she needed to make. But now the dog's hungry all the time and it's lost two pounds and it was only 12 pounds to begin with. So that's quite a bit of your body weight to lose. Right. And uh, she can feel his ribs now. So we're going to give her some good practical advice on um, her pet's uh, situation. Okay. So today um, we wanted to talk a little bit about pet food storage it's like tempting to go buy like a big bag of some kind of pet food because then you don't have to go back. So um, the storage methods though can be a problem. And you know how everybody wants the cute organized house with like the nice bins that match for all their pet food and that kind of thing. That could be a detriment to your pet. Put some saran wrap over to cover it, put it in the fridge or go ahead and discard what's left over. Uh, because that's going to spoil pretty fast. You, you've all seen uh, the wet pet foods that have dried out and look crusty mm-hmm. and yeah, stuff like that. And they're so hard to get off of both. Very hard to get off, yeah. So, but they're going to go stale. They probably don't want to eat that after 24 hours. Really? No, if they really. haven't eaten it within 24 hours? 
they're probably not going to eat it anyway. No, they're not going to yeah. eat it. And especially, you know, they like it fresh too. You know, uh, animals, yeah. we've all seen dogs eat things that oh, are gosh. there for many, many Digging things months. up and running but, around yeah. and finding stuff. Yeah. They prefer fresh, you know, and fresh is going to be better for them in the long run anyway. So, mm-hmm. um, but those are some tips. And um, the, but, you know, realize that uh, taking that food out, and putting that into the, the bin oxidizes that food. So you're going to see some of the oils in there that maybe spoil or become more funny smelling to the dogs. Um, it's not so much the meat part, but it's the ingredients and preservatives and things like that, mm-hmm. especially the cofferols in there uh, that could have a funny smell once oxidized. So leaving it in the bag preserves that freshness. I Googled it, um, just like, what are the signs your pet food isn't good anymore? <laughs> I was like, don't feed your dog pet food if it's blue or green. It's like, okay, I'm probably going to figure that out. Yeah. But are there other things that just diminish? I've seen it kind of turn black. Is that the vitamins or something? Right. It's it's the secondary ingredients that are oxidized and, and starting to change color. Okay. Um, the oxidation can activate, you know, if you let that pet food set, like if you set meat out on the counter, um, that meat can sit out on the counter maybe 24 hours. And it's going to start to spoil because there's bacteria that start to activate with the oxygen. And once that's in a, a sealed container, it, the oxygen can't get to it. The uh, same way with dog food, because if a meat-based dog food, if you let that sit out there for very long, uh, you know, in, in the elements, it's going to spoil. It's going to start to have... Uh, get that funny spore covering and get a fungus on it. So it, it definitely can uh, affect your pet. Now, some most dogs aren't going to eat that. If it has a fungus on it, they're not going to touch it. But there are some food-driven dogs that will eat anything. And unfortunately, they may eat it. And um, the fungus is the main problem, you know, with the plant-based material. It's not the meat part because, like I said, they can go out and eat something, a, a dead animal, and be just fine but they're not eating the plant-based material on the animal. They're just eating mm. meat and bone and skin and stuff like that. So they're say. set up for that one. They're set yeah, up for that one, but they're not set up for the plant-based stuff. And so uh, if your pet food contains anything with plant material, uh, we have to be very careful of that. So that includes grains, that includes uh, pea protein, pea flour, uh, and, and also, um, you know, some of the uh, other herbs that may be put in there, fruits as well. Mm-hmm. So we have to remember that. Uh, all the boats can spoil. Well, thanks for watching with us today, uh, Teresa, Sherry Ann, Sean, uh, Kathleen, and Nikki. Uh, we're glad you've joined us today. Uh, the group, again, is Holistic Vet Advice with Dr. Jim and Kristen Carlson on Facebook. And if you'd like to call in and you have a question, the number is 866-472-5788. Um, so when we're talking about pet food bags, I just wanted to show you a couple of things because there's actually a suffocation problem with some of the bags that are being made right now because they're being made with mylar. So this isn't necessarily the best example. It's um, a paper outside bag of these are goldfish crackers. But do you see this inside layer, which is a foil? It's actually really hard for your dog or cat. So they got this on their head. Usually a dog or cat might be able to scrape it off with their hands or their arms or their uh, paws, I should say, and get their claws through it. But the mylar coating is lethal because... Once they get this stuck on their head, 
there's not really a whole lot they can do. They um, end up suffocating before they can get a hold of that mylar and get it off. The mylar is very tough material. You see it in a lot of different places, but have you noticed those chip bags or sometimes there's popcorn and the bag has this weird sound to it. It's real loud when you go to open it. So there's no sneaking. <laughs> and um, that's the bag that we're talking about. So mylar. So here's one example of another bag. See, they're usually um, silver on the inside or outside. This feels a little slightly bit heavier, but the mylar does keep the food fresh. So that's an issue. Um, and in fact, a lot of dogs and cats have been dying from that. And people don't know. I mean, it only takes a second because you get it on your head. And since their claws can't penetrate the mylar packaging, they can't like claw it off very well. They can't get a hold of it. Their, their arms and their um, paws just keep going over it and you can't pierce it. So before with a paper bag or even a plastic bag, a lot of dogs could still pierce that, chew it up, get it off their head. And now that's not necessarily the case. So if you have any kind of mylar packaging in your house, um, so that would be almost every snack food packaged in mylar, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. it's for freshness. So it keeps it a lot fresher, yeah. obviously, as we dog food it's a little heavier packaged but you know it has a foil liner on the inside too this is another thing to be concerned about the cats chew through these bags so farmina so yeah. <laughs> they chew through them all the time because it smells so good so um they, they know they i know like their there. bags because they're ziploc you know the mm -hmm. larger bags aren't so if you're getting larger bags you know you're going to have to put the chip clip on it but these smaller treat bags and, and smaller pet food bags now they're putting ziplocs on there which preserve that freshness yeah that helps yeah, yeah. So um, according to the AVMA, they did a study between 2014 and 2018 about pet suffocation in bags like this. And it said 72% of dogs or cats suffocated in chip or snack bags and 11% um, in bags that are intended for pet food or treats, 6% in liners for cereal boxes, because those, are those aren't necessarily those clear things anymore either. Some of them are actually those silver mylar liners, but it can happen in any bag to be honest. And then 11% bread bags, plastic containers, or something along that line of food storage. We actually had a client that um, this happened to. She had a pug. So, you know, kind of like no neck. And it got its head stuck in a Cheetos bag. It went through the trash while they were out of the house. And they came home and she had suffocated and passed away. So it's extremely shock it's just yeah. so shocking yeah. and it happens so fast um we interviewed someone once who um from the pet suffocation alliance group which you can find on um on by googling it and she said she was in the shower and she came out it was just it was like two or three minutes it was nothing no amount of time and her dog died in that amount of time so the advice is that if you see packaging like this with this mylar and all this stuff and there's something good inside or even something to lick off of the inside of the package or it smells tasty. Um, they said they want you to cut this up into little pieces before you throw it in your trash. Maybe keep your trash completely out of the way of your animals. You got to store your stuff up high. Like our dogs know how to open the lower cabinets. Mm -hmm. They can snatch anything out of there. So these um, snack foods and all your other stuff, uh, bread wrappers, everything should be stored up high and um, cut up into little bitty bits when you are done. Or maybe you cut out the snack food entirely. Yeah, yeah, watch the <laughs> snack food. <laughs> right. It's not gonna happen for him. Right, no, He lives no, on no. snack food. <laughs> All right, so um, 
We have a couple of questions today. Actually, we have several questions that are coming out of our Facebook group today. Um, talking a little bit about like raw diet transitioning for pets. Uh, we're going to talk about um, baking soda, the use of Arnica. Is that an actual good idea to use an herbal remedy like Arnica for something like dog arthritis or joint pain? Um, we're going to talk about the apple cider vinegar rinse again and additional vitamins added to some prepackaged foods. One of the other things today um, in relation to dog food before we move on from raw to uh, to the raw diet is palatability. There's a lot of work that goes into palatability. So part of the reason you're paying premium prices for pet food is that we have um, palatability studies that have to be done like this. And they're talking not just the additives that go on the dog food to make your dog want to eat it or maybe to prevent some ickier tasting item, right? So like a coating maybe that prevents like something that doesn't taste that great and they make it more palatable. Another study they do is the shape of the food. Um, shape is a big deal, especially to cats. So the size and shape of the kibble is kind of a big big deal uh, when it comes to palatability. And you know, dog food companies want you to, pets to eat their food. So they spend a lot of time working through palatability. Um, are there, is there anything in the way of palatability that just really isn't all that good for your pet? Well, the, the pet speaks for the food really, because um, sometimes if, if we have to wonder if we really have to make that, that good tasting, is it really good for them? Mm -hmm. uh, also uh, most, if they have a good healthy GI tract, if a dog is sensitive, to food changes or if they're sensitive to eating food, that's a GI problem. And so we have to work slowly in getting that gut flora back to health. Um, some of the puppies and kitties were started on maybe grain-based puppy and kitty foods. Mm -hmm. uh, and then their gut flora learned to handle carbs versus meat. meat. Oh, okay. And so it's really hard to switch them over. And I think that's why cats become so finicky is they're just they become carboholics and they don't want to go to the fresh food. They just don't like it. Um, and some cats will even you know, sniff it and, and gag because they don't mm -hmm. like the smell of the food. Um, so cats are hard to transition back. They're really hard. Once they get, yeah. once they get the grain in their diet, they can be real put off with other diets. Yeah. And it's the bacteria that's influencing that. Uh, weirdly From enough, the gut, we can, the gut bacteria. The gut bacteria, because okay. it's the microbiome is like the mini brain, and that mini brain, unfortunately, uh, is communicating with the big brain, and that big brain is, uh, you know, influencing what their food choices are. If I'm going to go and, and smell this food and eat it, or if I'm going to go smell this food and throw up, or if I'm going to avoid it completely. Mm -hmm. So uh, they're having issues gut flora first, then. To get them to switch, you do have to use certain food toppers. Um, and they've come along with some really good food toppers. And then we have to be careful of some others. Um, if, I, if the cake doesn't taste that great, but you're putting a bunch of frosting on it, <laughs> and you really like frosting, you probably eat the cake. So we, we don't want to make sure that we're, we're using good quality food toppers, usually meat, um, and that's going to entice most dogs. Cats, we have to be a little bit more creative uh, because kitties don't necessarily, like we mentioned, like those meat toppers. It mm -hmm. takes a little maybe switching over from a carb-based diet to a, uh, like Farmina, for example, you 
would switch over to another kibble form and then maybe go into freeze dried and then onto raw food if you were to choose to use raw food. Uh, but a lot of cats will make that transition to Farmina, for example, and that's where they'll stop. They don't want to go on to the, mm-hmm. to the more regular meat-based diets. Yeah. Okay. All right. So kitties and their frustratingly finicky kitties. So what is with all those videos? Um, this is kind of off topic and I didn't talk to you about it. At a time. <laughs> What's with all those videos they have on the internet of those cats that gag all the time? Well, they, they have a very strong smell response, just like ours. In the, so they smell someone's feet and they yeah, literally gag? They can gag. <laughs> <laughs> they can smell, you know, the, the food. I've seen them gag, you know, you set the food down, they sniff it and they, they start to, to retch because it, it, <laughs> the, 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 what they call the vulnerable nasal response inside the nose mm-hmm. is very sensitive in cats. So some of those things go right to the vomiting center. So the gag reflex, boom, it's right there. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. Dogs don't do that, though. I've never seen no. a dog. Oh, if the worse it smells, the better. Yeah, they really like it smelly. And, and, and uh, unfortunately, they're not as discriminatory because they're classically um, scavengers by nature and cats mm-hmm. aren't. You know, dogs will scavenge for food, so they usually look for something that's partially edible. Uh, that's where we can get into problems sometimes with, with trash eaters and stuff like that. Is they'll they'll eat the food and the wrapper. Mm-hmm. It's not so much the food that they eat, or that it's the it's the packaging that they eat from it uh, that causes the problems because that's usually something that's not going to digest mm-hmm. and they have a hard time getting through. You're taking a lot of trash pickers. And had to put them through emergency surgery. And we have, yeah, for sure. We haven't had one lately, which is, it's kind of weird. We usually have them more frequently. <laughs> They've been outside, I think, enjoying the fall weather. <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah. Uh, people have been home more. And so some of I the worst, been... yeah, some of the worst trash picking, I think, um, well, corn cob, that was awful. Corn cobs will go straight into the gut and then they don't dissolve. No, very, uh, in the, the, the one poor dog that we have, it bit through the corn cob and made a nice round slice. And that's what went through and got stuck right in the intestine. It was stuck, you know, if it went exactly sideways, wrong. but it was went in through the round way and just locked, locked everything up. Um, I think the second biggest thing that they eat and have to come in for surgery for would be socks and underwear. Yeah, surprisingly, they like cloth, you know, and, yeah. and, uh, famous story that I had heard years ago was that uh, a deer hound came in and for just not eating. Mm-hmm. And um, they took an x-ray and saw a very large mass in there. Uh, they knew something was in the stomach. Uh, went in and they took out 20, I think it was 24 or 30 beanie babies. Oh, and so amazing part is, is how do they, how do they swallow that? that? Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, to the back of the throat has always amazed me. Well, you had a, you had one that ate, you know, the part, the cover for the couch arm Mm -hmm. and it was completely intact. I mean, there was like maybe one tear out of it and it was completely intact. All she really had to do was throw it in the washer and reuse it. It looked fine when it came out. And then the sock Mm -hmm. that looked like you could, I mean, it wasn't even dirty. You could put it right on your foot. I mean, obviously you wouldn't, it's gross, but um, that sock uh, was, that was pretty amazing. Yeah, it goes right in and they, they just keep, you know, it's sort of like the old sword swallower, you know, they can, mm-hmm. they can right. stop that gag reflex and just have it keep coming down. 
Right. And that's the thing about dogs is they can do that. You know, cats aren't, they can do that with string. So we have to be careful cats and string. That's, mm-hmm. that's a big thing with them. Fish hooks, dogs, string. Fish hooks and string and mm-hmm. lines and stuff like Taking that. Taking all of that out of cats. Um, and they do like knitting needles, sewing needles, I should say. So uh, those are, those are some of our tales of emergency surgery. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, um, and then, uh, so today we want to talk a little bit about one of our questions from one of our viewers today. She has a question about um, transitioning to a raw diet. This is a frequently asked question because, you know, nobody wants a big case of diarrhea in their house. And so she wants to know, how do you do that? Like, can I just go full on to the raw diet from regular food or how do I do it? Uh, best not to go from regular diet to raw food right away because most dogs are got flora has been set up for that. So they tend to detox as they create a massive amount of diarrhea. Usually uh, it's just so fresh, okay. you know, the and food. the food. And, and so it's best to, if you've been on a grain based diet, so say we take, grain-based food, you want to transition over to grain-free. You want to take uh, a third of the diet or fourth of the diet. So like grain-free kibble? Mm -hmm. Grain-free kibble. You go kibble for kibble first. Uh, Order the diet every week. So new food, old food, until one month you're on to the new diet. Use that for about six to eight weeks. Mm -hmm. Then you start to move over from maybe that high-end grain food over to something like Farmina, which is mostly meat. It's a cold-pressed raw food. Mm -hmm. I love that because that's the best transition diet to go to raw food if you want to go to straight raw or onto freeze dried. Yeah, like this. It's kind of our go-to here. Yeah. Um, It's a raw dehydrated kibble. So they just cold-press it, and it's even – it's got everything in it. It's a fantastic food. We have a lot of luck with that food. Absolutely. Sell it in our pet store here. There again, a fourth of the diet every every week until we're on to like Farmina, for example. Then you can start introducing raw bits okay. as treats. And uh, then uh, after six to eight weeks on Farmina and introducing raw bits, if they seem to be okay with that, then you can start moving over um, Darwin's, I love Darwin's raw food. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to start with a commercial base. Stella and Chewy is another really good one. Uh, there's others out there as well, but those are my favorites. Then you can think about making your own food. Making your own food is an art. It requires science. It requires persistence in ingredients. It's not just slapping together ingredients and feeding it. To not them. just putting some hamburger in a dish. That's right. You yeah. gotta you gotta make sure that it's yeah. balanced. Yeah, and you have to have the minerals, the vitamins, and the amino acids are really really important. And you have to, depending on your protein type, it's a good idea to substitute um, different amino acids because each protein type, so ruminant or fowl types, require some kind of um, some kind of additional uh, substitution for amino acids and those come from just oils that you can get at the grocery store like walnut oil mm-hmm. uh what else what other oils flaxseed oil yeah that one's a big one walnut oil the um, and then sardines are, are very good for the fish oil because they have the epa and dha fatty acids and are lacking in poultry and and uh, the colon hoofed animals like lamb and, and beef and bob war 
Oh, okay. All right. Very good. Um, okay. So uh, we will be talking a little bit more about raw food because we have an owner um, who just started feeding raw food. Then she was apparently told, oh, you're, you're feeding way too much dog food to your dog. But now the dog is losing weight and nobody really knows what to do. She's very confused, rightly so. Um, so she is uh, someone who's in our holistic vet advice group with Dr. Jim and Kristen Carlson. That's on Facebook. So we hope to see you in there. A lot of good discussions going on. A lot of people helping each other. A lot of people who have actually been in our um, holistic program for a long time are actually in that group. So they can kind of fill in too and tell you things that they learned here. Uh, so they're, they, they kind of, you know, are getting... They, using their experiences with you out on the internet, which is kind of cool uh, to help other people. Um, we're going to talk about Arnica. So Arnica is an herb and they make it into kind of like a muscle relieving gel. You've probably seen it if you've ever had to go um, to <laughs> the Ben Gay aisle, <laughs> like someone like me has to go to the Ben Gay aisle all the time. But um, so Arnica, they have some Arnica gels, um, pain relieving, muscle relieving kind of stuff. But when does it work and when does Arnica not work? So does it work for dogs and cats at all? Um, we'll tell you a little bit more about Arnica and when you should use it, when you shouldn't use it, or even if you should. So that's coming up. Also going to go over the protocol for the apple cider vinegar rinse in the mouth to help reduce biofilm. And that will help your dog in so many different ways, including not just in oral healthcare, but throughout their entire body. So apple cider vinegar has basically a cult following mm -hmm. out there on the internet. It does. It's the best stuff in, in, on, in the world. Yeah, you're into it. Yeah. I know that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. So, again, if you'd like to call in, the number is 866-472-5788. Um, we are live on Facebook right now. So, Holistic Fed Advice with Dr. Jim and Kristen Carlson. Or you can uh, see us on our actual vet clinic page, which is Riverside Animal Clinic and Holistic Center. We're located in McHenry, Illinois. All right, well, we're going to go to break now. We'll be back in just a few minutes to talk about uh, some more raw food and supplements. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Tune in every week for Making Action Happen, hosted by Sarah Blackhurst. The program takes you inside Action 22, a Colorado-based community outreach organization established in 1999. The show focuses on public policies, both politically driven or not, which have ongoing and immediate impact on the Colorado community and the world. It doesn't matter where you are, you can make action happen. Listen Thursdays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, and 1 p.m. Mountain Time on Voice America Variety. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. 
Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Awesome Woo Woo Holistic Vet Advice. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to holisticvetadvice at gmail.com. Now back to this week's program. Hi, I'm Kristen Carlson here with Dr. Jim Carlson and our new litter of Persian kittens. We're having a good time today with helping us, helping us out. Kitties are such a stress reliever. Animals in the workplace. I mean, we we always have cats running around here and stuff. People just uh, love it, and our employees love it. Yeah, for sure. They really yeah. grow to love yeah, our clinic cats. Yeah, every workplace should have. Clean. Yeah, <laughs> or a puppy. <laughs> Although that's a, a little bit more challenging. So um, today we're talking about. Um, a few questions that we've had from our Holistic Vet Advice Group with Dr. Jim and Kristen Carlson. That's on Facebook, and we hope to see you join us. A lot of help and discussions from some of the other members, too, and so it's kind of cool. Uh, I like being able to get on there and have a happy discussion about holistic medicine mm-hmm. in a safe place. So um, no skeptics in that group at all. They're all believers, and they know how how fantastic holistic medicine is. For sure, and, it, and it's a great place to share ideas because um, – Experience is the greatest teacher. You know, this is what I've used before. This is what's worked for me. You know, maybe try that. It's a it's a good exchange of ideas. Yeah, yeah for sure. it's great. It is. The number to call if you have questions is 866-472-5788. So if you want to talk to Jim, you can do that, Dr. Carlson. So, okay. So a couple of questions we're going to start with today. Is it okay to put baking soda in the cat's litter box? I hear it helps neutralize odors. You want to put that in the litter pan before you put the litter on it because uh, it is a it is a, it will create dust in the kitties and cats that get in there are going to experience that dust and probably have some respiratory issues, sneezing, uh, maybe some runny nose, uh, maybe some allergies from that. So put it at the bottom first, put your litter on top. Um, they'll gradually mix a little bit in. Mm-hmm. So, but if you mix that with the litter, you're going to create a lot of dust. That's not a good idea. But yes, you can just put it at the bottom of the litter pan. You know, I've been using um, cat pads lately. Mm -hmm. So, um, there's a, I don't know who makes it. I want to say Purina, but I think I'm wrong. Breeze litter box system, which we have at home. And it comes with these like weird pebbles in it. So, they look like pine pelleted pine pelleted I don't know what am I saying pelleted pine mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> so they look like pelleted pine but they're not they're like plastic or something so when they go in there the pee drains through into this pad and then all you have to do is change the pad out and I've been kind of experimenting with that in some of our other litter pans and it's kind of nice it does kind of soak it up and it doesn't smell as bad it's like it frequent pan. changing but I think if you couple that sometimes maybe with some baking soda on the bottom it might help yeah, great inventions. You know, I think the invention of the litter pan was probably the best invention to start with. And then 
become, you know, uh, quite a sensation between uh, the electronic litter pans that, that scrape the litter pan for you mm -hmm. uh, to the breeze system, you know, that uses some of the, the pads. Um, the idea is to just knock down the litter, or the odor, I should say, mm -hmm. um, yeah. because let's face it, that's the worst part of cat ownership yes. is the litter pan. And, you know, the fresher, the better. And I've always viewed the litter pan as like one of those porta potties at the, at the carnival. Um, it, it's very hard to go into one that doesn't smell mm -hmm. good. Right. Yeah. Your cat definitely doesn't want to do that. Right. They don't want to do that and they don't want to share. So very much. So you want to have at least one litter pan per cat mm -hmm. plus one. So you want one extra one. If you have three cats, you might have four litter pans. Strategically place them. They will share, but it should be obviously cleaned out every day. Um, and you should be able to put your nose down there uh, next to the litter pan because that's Whoa. about the cat height. Really? And be able to smell that and go, okay, that that's reasonable. Oh. Because a cat smell, you know, several times more sensitive than we are. So they can smell it a lot more than we can. Well, I'll let, so you, I'll let you do that at home. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. You can take care of that. Yeah. He has to take care of a lot of the litter pans. Too, right? <laughs> litter management. Yeah, true, true. Oh, actually, I saw one I was going to mention. I saw this new litter box, and it was only $24. It's at Costco. It said it was some kind of rolling litter pan or something. So, like, you didn't have to touch any of that. Like, there was, I don't think there was a scoop anymore associated with that. So, if you're a Costco member, um, you may go just go down the pet aisle and see what that thing is. So, it looked pretty good. I almost bought it, and then I was like, "Oh, wait till maybe Sunday. <laughs> see if I want to go back to Costco and <laughs> and get that litter pan." So, uh, but uh, you know, some of those systems are pretty expensive. They're like seven, eight hundred dollars. So, if that one can save you for twenty four bucks, then that sounds like a pretty good deal. Piece of cake, and I do like the ones that that have you know, several pans where you can sift it, um, and that makes it a little bit easier yeah. because you sift one, you can throw out the solids, and then put it under the next one so you don't have to transfer litter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll make good. it last longer. Um, the sifting part has always been hard. You know, how much should I take out? How often should I change the litter pan? Mm -hmm. You know, there again, it's the, it's the smell test. If it starts to smell funny and you can't stand it, they definitely can't stand it. Yeah. Yeah. I think you can usually tell because sometimes they'll start going outside the litter box. If yeah, they'll protest. For them, they will protest. Yeah, they'll, they'll usually go beside it or something like that. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. So enough about that. Um, we had some questions about the apple cider vinegar rinse that we're uh, that Dr. Carlson talks about a lot. So it's a 50-50 mix of apple cider vinegar and distilled water. Mm -hmm. And you put it in just like a ketchup squeeze bottle or something like that. They have them at the Dollar Tree. And Okay, so people are saying, you know, that their dog hates it or they think, you know, the dog is swallowing all of it, but that's ideal. That's okay because you, you want to treat the biofilm in the mouth, but it's also good to go down the system and resolve the biofilm in the intestinal tract as well. It is a probiotic and it does acidify the stomach. And we think about, well, if my dog has gastric reflux, should I be adding more acid? And the answer is the, the reason they have gastric reflux is they don't have enough stomach acid. And the helobacter is a little bacteria in the stomach. Um, so it's okay if they, they eat it or li drink it. Um, 
most of the time when they're resisting, it's that the bacteria, remember the microbiome is creating the resistance. Okay, so you may have to go a little bit slower. Try one fourth uh, apple cider vinegar to water. Make it a little more dilute. Um, take your time with it, and eventually they'll get onto it because um, you know it's a it's a great way to natural way to rinse the mouth. Some dogs don't like the toothpaste. Can you pipe down though, the amount of mix? So could you go like a, the 25-75? Sure can, yeah. You can take it down just, just a little bit in there at first. You know, 50-50 is the ideal mix, but it's just like transitioning to, to better diets. Uh, it's going to take a little bit of time in some pets. You want to use the one with the mother, the apple cider yeah. vinegar with the mother. So you'll see it floating in there. He says it usually on the label. It's not the one in the salad dressing aisle. No. Um I mean, it might be kept there, I suppose, but it's not that one that you would use to make uh, some Italian salad dressing. My favorite's Mother Bragg's. I know this. that one's been around a really long time, but there's others out there as well. But mm -hmm. but they have the little floaties in there, and that's really important because that's uh, excellent probiotic in there. Okay. All right. Um, Betsy is eating Nom Nom food now, and her mm -hmm. owner wants to know if she needs to add vitamins to it. The, the Nom Nom food is a pretty complete diet, but not every diet, and that's the best foods to the worst foods, are going to be available necessarily for your pet. So when you're first starting a new diet, you can always add an additional vitamin supplement to the diet just to be sure that they're absorbing the proper nutrients. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Nom Nom, um, we've interviewed them before, actually, on our show. Yeah. And they're an extremely educated group of people. Mm -hmm. uh, so everything from their, you know, ownership, their veterinarian. Um, I think he has a PhD in nutrition, I think in Wisconsin, actually. Mm -hmm. um, and then they have like a microbiologist who's handling all of their um, probiotics. So they do have a probiotic line as well. Um, you can buy it on their website, but a very interesting company and they really are trying to do everything right. So it's pretty cool. Okay. Hi, Colleen. Thank you for joining us this morning. The kitten's falling asleep. Yeah. She's bored. So I guess we better perk it up, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Poor little thing. Look at her oh, little head. It's had a big morning already. <laughs> All right. Um, okay. So we're going to talk a little bit about Arnica. We do have a question about Arnica. How does Arnica work? Mm -hmm. Arnica, you know, is something that you can find in a store. Um, Walgreens carries it. Walmart has it. It's over by the Ben Gay. It's designed for you know, like muscle strain, muscle aches, that kind of thing. It has a lot of uses, though. Um, in the animal hospital, even, a lot of holistic veterinarians, like you could give Arnica in the mouth um, before uh, you wake your patient up from surgery. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of other just different applications. But this particular owner on our group page wants to know if it would work for joint pain. It, the only time, and that's, Arnica is a homeopathic remedy. It's a little bit different than herbal medicine. It is a plant. Um, it's derived from the Arnica Montana uh, perennial, uh, found mostly in the mountains of Europe and Siberia. And uh, homeopathy is a, a little bit different than herbal medicine in that it uses a dilution. It's only using what they call the energy of the plant because at regular dosages, if you were to ingest the plant at the highest concentration, um, it could cause inflammation, it could cause bruising, and it could cause clotting problems. Uh, 
So it could cause all the things that you actually wanted to yeah. use it for. <laughs> so homeopathy is don't treat. Do it. <laughs> no. So you don't want to take the whole plant. The dilution and homeopathy is treat like for like. Okay. And so um, it's called proving. So that it's diluted way out. So if it says 30C, it's been diluted 30 times. If it says 200C, it's been diluted 200 times. Um, so that's a little bit of history on Arnica. Um, the best place to use it is during any type of trauma. So obviously the worst trauma is hit by a car or if your pet fell or if they ran into each other, mm-hmm. um, that's a good time to use it for muscle bruising. Um, also for the trauma of surgery or the trauma of, um, you know, just inflammation. So arthritis, it's not used as daily use is not quite as good because it's not designed to do that it's more for the traumatic inflammation so say you have an arthritic senior dog and uh was uh, playing and all of a sudden it, it ran into the tree or fell or something like that you'd use arnica for that mm-hmm. use it uh, about every one to two hours until the pet seems to feel better um, and but only use it for the day don't continue to use it long term because there again really. like for like so if you use too much of it uh, it could have the opposite effect so in the case of joint pain, well, first of all, for joint pain, it's not kind of really meant for that. It's not meant for that, but it's it, it's meant for inflammation, um, even stress. You know, they, say they had a, lost a housemate and they're really stressed out about that. You can actually use Annika for that as well. So it's been oh, used really? for behavior oh, okay. as right. well. And so, uh, but don't use it on a daily use. So that's the difference between an anti-inflammatory um, uh, versus Arnica. What are some other solutions for long-term joint pain in an older pet, like supplemental and solutions? Well, there's there's very good supplements. So um, uh, a classic supplement that was developed many years ago is a product called Dog on Pain. Uh, a, a lot of owners have used it and it, it's a great supplement. Uh, the, the Ficox products uh, that have Ficox in it is a natural pain reliever. Um, those are very, very good in terms of anti-inflammatories. Um, you want to um, use products that your pet can tolerate. At the same time, uh, when you're using nutraceuticals, they're not going to be as quick acting as, say, carprofen, for example, mm-hmm. or galloprant. But uh, they're going to be used on a regular basis. Um, so you're using the glucosamine and, and supplements like that to help with joint pain and inflammation. But then you have anti-inflammatories available for those acute pain. Say they're really active for the day and out the next day they're feeling mm-hmm. sore and, and not feeling good. Um, then you would want to use carprofen. If it's a daily use product, then uh, we have to make sure that we're monitoring the vital organs. It's not that the NSAIDs cause kidney and liver problems, but older patients could develop those problems and then the NSAIDs will make it worse. So if they have a liver condition or a kidney condition. So uh, if they're on it daily year rounds, you should test every three to six months to make sure that they're handling it Mm -hmm. properly. Uh, If they're just occasional use, then uh, blood work once a year. Um, But uh, just be careful of the products. Mm -hmm. But the nutraceutical is extremely safe uh, to use. A couple of others that are worth mentioning are green-lipped mussels and also CBD. So um, CBD could, uh, a lot of people have had a lot of anecdotal evidence that CBD works for that sort of thing. Definitely. 
Okay. All right. So um, now our next question is from one of our listeners. And she says that, actually, let me turn. I'm sorry to wake you up, Kitty. Um, I've been home cooking for my dog, a 14-year-old Yorkie Maltese mix for years and was always feeding him a certain amount of food. Recently, I was made to understand I was giving him too much food and protein for his size and age. I adjusted his food accordingly, but he lost a lot of weight and is always hungry, especially at night. He was 12 pounds, now is 10 pounds, and right now I can feel his ribs. I used to feed him eight ounces of food a day, cooked chicken, five ounces, and three ounces of veggies. I read that he should only get one gram of protein per pound of body weight, and that would be only 10 to 12 grams of protein, which is not that much. Please help. I don't want him to be hungry, but I don't want to overburden his body with protein. She wants to know what she's doing wrong. It sounds like you were doing a lot right in the beginning. For sure. You got fresh food there. But the difference between feeding fresh food and processed is that um, our formula for processed food would be uh, you know, taking the kilograms of body weight. So you divide your your pet's weight in pounds divided by two, for example, or 2.2 uh, times 30 plus 70. That gives you kilocalories per day. Now, your dog food's going to have so many kilocalories per cup, and then you would feed a certain amount of cups per day or a portion of a cup, for example, if it's a small dog. When you're feeding whole food, it's different. And the meat-based portion, you want to feed one to 2% of your pet's body weight. So if we take a 100-pound dog, for example, 1% to 2% is going to be 1% to 2 pounds of food, of meat. Then you add the extra ingredients. So uh, you may be underfeeding your pet. Um, the nice thing about whole fresh meat is that we don't have to worry about the protein content in fresh meat because you're going to have much less absorption rate from that as you would uh, processed food. Um, there are veterinary diets out there that are designed uh, for kidney problems, liver problems, um, with what they call protein restriction. A lot of pets don't like the food because it's protein restricted. It's not that it's strong. It's put together and it's formulated properly for that condition. Um, but unfortunately, uh, the pets might not like it. Now, the design of that is that because it's processed, it's just slowing the rate of protein absorption. But with raw food diets, you don't have to worry as much. It's going to take more food. There's no research that in terms of veterinary diets have been heavily researched mm -hmm. and they know exactly how much to feed pet foods as well if they're dry food. But the raw food diets and some of the novel diets have not been researched to know exactly how much do we need to feed. But that rough estimate, one to two percent of body weight is going to sure that you're getting enough food into them and uh, realize they're going to lose some weight on lean meat. They're just going to, but it, like Kristen said, um, two pounds and a 12 pound dog is like uh, us, you know, losing 25 or 30 pounds. It's going to make a difference. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, it's a little bit too much weight on. Yeah. And when we're talking about um, raw diets, I just wanted to give you the warning that we give everybody in our practice. 
I did post that warning. It's from the American Animal Hospital Association. It's a handout. And it's a handout that we um, are supposed to give if you're in AHA hospital. Um, you're supposed to give that handout to everybody if you're prescribing raw diets or even, you know, discussing that. So that's the one that we do offer here. And we've posted that on our Holistic Vet Advice with Dr. Jim and Kristen Carlson page. There are some warnings about raw diets. You can read about it all on there. Mm-hmm. So hard to concentrate with this little sweet, warm, sleepy kitty in my hands. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Makes me sleepy just looking at her. Right I know. Now. So, so cute. <laughs> Um, and then uh, is organ meats and veggies. When when should you feed organ meat anyway? Well, that's part of the, the meat blend. So um, you're, you're probably in the 10 to 15% of that meat-based portion is more organ meat. You can go a little bit more. Realize organ meat is two to three times the concentration of protein and energy. So um, it's, it's much more packed with nutrients. Uh, so it's way richer um, than the standard skeletal meat. Uh, so start slow, but there again, um, as we talked about earlier, you'll know if the pet is having problems because the stool is going to soften. Uh, they might even have some watery stool if they're detoxing. Mm-hmm. It's not that the food is making them detox. No, it's causing diarrhea. It's allowing them to detox because right. uh, they they may be storing a lot of. of Okay. Toxins in the system. All right. We've also posted this really cool video on tongue health. I don't know if you've ever had a chance to look in your dog's mouth or your cat's mouth. Um, I, tongues are my absolute favorite thing to, to examine during surgery because you kind of get to take a look around and see mm-hmm. what's going on when you're a surgery assistant. And the tongue is pretty fun because it's not just something you get to see. Plus, it's furry. It's hairy sometimes. Cats have, you know, these little quills on their tongue where they can uh, help them groom and everything like that. Mm -hmm. But in Chinese veterinary medicine, that's not actually, um, you know, just a nice pink tongue isn't actually the only thing you're worried about. So I did post a kind of cool video. You can check your own tongue. Uh, This is from uh, TikTok (laughs) because I like that. Mm -hmm. And um, so it's an acupuncturist and she shows some of the things she looks at in tongue health. And you also look at that as well. For sure. And it's um, a little bit different in our animal patients because uh, we can stick our tongue out for the doctor, uh, but our dogs and cats aren't necessarily going to do that for us. Um, so when we're looking in the mouth, it can be a little bit um, subjective because uh, once you open a pet's mouth, they're going to pull the tongue back and it'll be a little bit more congested. Uh, but at the same time, uh, how they hold their tongue, they should, uh, there shouldn't be much overlap of the tongue over the teeth. Uh, a normal tongue color is going to be a nice pink, uh, what they call cherry blossom pink. Okay. Uh, and I know what you're talking about. Ideal color. Um, the locations of different problems, the back of the tongue is more kidney and intestine. The sides of the tongue uh, on both sides is liver and gallbladder. Mm-hmm. The middle of the tongue is, in Chinese medicine, stomach and spleen, but that's for digestion. And then the front of the tongue is lung and, uh, and heart. So if your pet has a, a very red tip of the tongue, mm-hmm. uh, could indicate that the heart, there's a lot of heart heat. And, and some pets can have uh, issues with, uh, with heart conditions and see a very, very red tongue uh, at the tip of the tongue. So Interesting. It's, what about like cracks in the tongue? And the, the coating of the cracks, the cracks in the tongue usually mean dryness. Uh, can also mean inflammation. Um, the coating of the tongue, um, most of the time a healthy pet 
will have just a light coating. Uh, but if it seems really thick, kind of rolled saliva, uh, that mm, can I've be, seen that on dogs. Yeah. yeah. And that's uh, called yin deficiency. That means the body's too hot and too dry. Uh, on the flip side, um, we've all seen salivation. Uh, and and that's excess drill, you know, excess salivation or drilling. Um, that's uh, typically a digestive condition. Uh, so the, the type of coating and color um, and what's, you know, the cracks and things like that uh, can also be a, a big deal. For us as humans, it's a little bit easier to see, though. The cracks oh, yeah, you can stick it out. Yeah. The cracks, though, um, yeah, those are interesting. What about the coating? Is there, like, yellow stuff or what should that really look like? For sure, it the um, it it should be a light thin film, but at the same time, if you see uh, green, yellow, uh, kind of gunky stuff there, that means biofilm, and that's usually um, the whole system could be shutting down or be very sick, especially in dogs who have severe periodontal disease. Uh, means that the system is not feeling well for sure. Mm -hmm. um, there shouldn't be any odor to the mouth. The tongue the tongue shouldn't smell. The mouth shouldn't smell. If you smell odor, that's bacteria. Uh, and also biofilm. And, well, know. I mean, how bad should it not smell? I mean, it's going to stink. Oh, it should be neutral. <laughs> it shouldn't be offensive. You you should be able to to tolerate your, your dog sitting okay. right next to you or your cat. But okay. if you go, wow, that smells, then that's too much. Yeah, that's a bad visit. Yeah, that's, that's a bad visit much. for sure. Yeah. We're going to figure it out. Either it's a digestive problem or bad teeth. All right. Well, thanks for joining us today, everybody. Uh, we appreciate your time and we'll see you next week. Be sure to join our Holistic Vet Advice group with Dr. Jim and Kristen Carlson. That's on Facebook. See you soon. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening this week to Awesome Woo Woo Holistic Vet Advice. Please join your hosts, Dr. Jim and Kristen Carlson again next Thursday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now go make some time with your best friend.